0: Hello and welcome to 10x9 9, where nine people have up to 10 minutes each to tell a true story from their own life. I'm Paul Doran and this is the 10x9 podcast. With the evenings drawing in and the nip of autumn in the air I have two amazing stories for you to keep the chill at bay. They were both told in front of a full house in the black box in Belfast. It was August 31st and the theme was once when I was younger. Potter Gautuma and I started 10 by 9 in the black box in 2011, and we love it. For this podcast, I run the two stories together, but you'll hear them being introduced as they were on the night. So, here we go. Please be very welcoming and warm, as I know you will, to our first-timer, Cat Rafferty.
1: Once when I was younger, I had to babysit an egg for a week. Actually, this happened twice, but the first time it happened is a significantly more entertaining story than the second. The year was 2013, and I had accidentally tricked my mother into letting me go on a five-day residential at Corimila and Castle. I was a sheltered autistic 16-year-old who had never spent a night away from home before, let alone four nights a two-hour drive away. What could possibly go wrong? My mum was under the impression that my school friend was also going. She wasn't though, because she couldn't get the week off work. And I was so disappointed that I didn't tell my parents. When my dad left me off to the bus stop, he said, oh, let's wait for your school friend so you can sit beside each other on the bus. She's not coming, I replied. I try not to think about things that disappoint me, and this resulted in me neglecting to tell them. This makes me sound like I was scheming to go to a summer camp when actually I just lacked the emotional maturity. This revelation made my parents rather apprehensive, but it was too late now. I would know no one on this trip, but they'd paid the deposit for me to go, so off I went. This trip wound up being the best week of my life. I met the friends of a lifetime there, and I think that week legitimately changed the trajectory of my life for the better. But I'm getting a little bit off topic. What has all of this got to do with an egg? Good question. At this residential, there was a big marquee and every night there would be games and entertainment around a theme. The first night's theme was pyjamas and onesies, and most of the games were about getting to know everyone who was there that week. Bear in mind, there were about a hundred of us staying there, and we were from six different areas in Northern Ireland. One of the games was about putting everyone's name in a big bucket, and only two names would be plucked out at a time, and those two people would become egg married, (laughs) and they would be presented with an egg child. Given that I knew no one on this trip, I obviously got paired with a complete stranger. His name was not Connor, but that's the first fake name that I came up with, so let's call him that. Connor and I named our egg child Tamago because I was obsessed with learning Japanese at the time, and Tamago was the Japanese word for egg. Creativity was clearly not either of our strong suits. After everyone was paired with their egg buddy, we had a couple of rules explained to us. Firstly, the aim of the game was to keep the egg alive. Secondly, we could not boil the egg child alive. (laughs) Thirdly, we could not bury the egg child alive. Fourthly, that the best egg parents at the end of the week would receive a prize. And finally, kidnapping other people's eggs was entirely permitted and would be a complete (laughs) free-for-all. This was an annual tradition at the Visions for Tomorrow Residential. Surprisingly, to a large enough portion of this group of 100 teenagers, Winning this coveted prize was one of the most important tasks that they had ever been entrusted with in their life. To another somewhat overlapping portion of this group, sabotaging the lives of these young eggs was the most important task that they'd ever been entrusted with in their lives. During that week, it was not uncommon for someone to run up, steal your egg child, and brutally smash them in front of you. I would not let this happen. For the first 24 hours of this competition, I took over the main duties of caring for this egg. He was my precious child, my beautiful baby boy, and I would protect him at all costs, and you could not convince me otherwise. I made a little cradle out of an old tub of sweets and made it comfortable with some torn up bits of paper. I carried him around with me during the various educational workshops we were expected to take part in that week, and I would not let him out of my sight. That was until, of course, I was told I would be the first act performing at the talent show that evening. Tamago would surely not be safe with me at the front of the marquee in front of everyone. So I entrusted him to his egg father. This was my biggest mistake. Connor had custody of our adorable little egg child for all of 15 minutes before our poor egg child was brutally poached from our hands. I do not think I have ever felt just quite the same level of anger as I did when I gave chase to Connor around the Davy village. I was boiling with rage. However, I relented when I learned that Connor had received a ransom note. At this residential, for losing games or doing something that was against the rules, there was generally a forfeit of some kind. The most common of these forfeits was eating baby food in front of everyone else. However, this was not Connor's forfeit. Connor's forfeit was much, much, much worse. Our egg napper had hatched a plan. <laughs> <laughs> Connor was advised that we'd have our darling little egg baby Tamago return to us if Connor proposed to a random person on the street when the group took its day trip to Ballycastle the next day. Infidelity in our shotgun egg marriage. How scandalous? What shell breaking news! <laughs> To make things worse, the target of said proposal would be selected by the eggnapper, and good on Connor, he agreed to it, he would do anything to recover our egg child. Possibly because it was the only way to escape my wrath, um, but either way, he would not give up over easing. <laughs> <laughs> on the other hand, I felt so sorry for the unsuspecting passerby who was made the target of our eggnapper's evil scheme. The poor old Ballycastle woman was swarmed by a group of what must have been about 40 participants of the residential group, as Connor got down on one knee and proposed. (laughs) This amazing woman took the whole very strange incident in her stride, and even played along. She let him kiss her on the cheek. (laughs) I cannot describe the relief I felt at everything going smoothly. Now our egg son could be returned to us, or so I hoped, but we were hard boiled on our luck. (laughs) The egg napper returned Tamago's sweet uh, sweet tub to us, However, his little cradle was now a bath, or maybe more accurately, a yolk bath. With the stress of the whole affair, we got egg divorced the very same day. <laughs> we were not the only pair to fall victim to the egg bandits that week. It was a prevalent crime that many a Visions for Tomorrow participant felt victim to. On the Friday at the award ceremony, the award for best egg parents went to another couple who had held a beautiful egg funeral for their egg child. Even after all Connor had done for us to have our egg son return to us, we did not win the coveted prize of best Egg parents, possibly because of the uh, scrambled divorce? <laughs> In the end, despite the hardship we all faced, I have to say that we formed some excellent memories.
0: OK, next up. He's a 10 by 9 regular, he's wonderful, we love him. It's Paul Hutchinson.
2: There are a lot of bellies on the road. Marching in dark glasses and green army jackets. And some, feeling the cold, are parading in their cosy, rough balaclavas. It is November 23rd, 1981. It is 8pm in the evening, a dark, nippy night in Newtonards. How do I know there are a lot of bellies on the road? Because a local wit with enough status to endure the potential backlash has just shotgun shouted out, All right, Billy! (laughs) Into the rows of marching men. And the number of heads that swiveled (laughs) in his direction was tremendous. (laughs) And the response from the watching crowd was laughter and cheers. There are a lot of Billies on the road, a lot of Billies in disguise. Their aim, however, is not disguised. They are a show of force. They are the so-called third force, named by the Reverend Dr. Ian Paisley, who walks at the head of the parade, smiling at the roars and shouts of acclaim. It is November 23rd, 1981. It is 8pm in the evening, a dark, nippy night. In Newtonards. And Protestants are on the march. The idea being that a loyalist defensive militia might be created, that they would be a complement to the security forces. Not a paramilitary group, but a group who would brandish firearm certificates as proof that they had guns and knew how to defend themselves a group fearful of the growing chumminess of the British and Irish governments and in reaction to the death by shooting of the Reverend Robert Bradford MP earlier that month at the hands of the IRA. And I was there, watching, nervous, without a firearms licence to my name, but with a few bellies smiling in my family tree. And my father had told me not to go. He was not going, saying, there will be large crowds, and where there's big crowds, there's often trouble. And although my father was not a fan of big crowds, he once took me to see Geordie Best play for Northern Ireland at Windsor Park. And as we came to a ticket booth in Turnstile, he had suddenly said, jump when we come to the turnstile. (laughs) And I had said, what? And he had said, jump. And I was maybe 10, and I thought, daddy says jump, so I jumped the turnstile, not paying for my ticket to see Geordie Best. And I ran into the crowd and waited to see if I would be chased, and I wasn't. Apparently... Kids are allowed to jump the turnstiles. (laughs) Break the law, but not. Well, I didn't know. I just did what I was told. Back to Billy & Co. and the Third Force, where their march had ended in a massive jostling crowd of mostly men just below the town hall and the square, where a raised stage, or was it the back of a truck, was decked out with a public address system for the public were about to be addressed (laughs) by the big man himself, the Reverend Dr. Ian Paisley. Why was I there? I was not a fan of the man they called, the Reverend Doctor. I was not a fan of men wearing dark glasses and balaclavas marching where I lived. So why was I there? I was curious, I was 16, I wondered if this would be history in the making, or a lively story to tell in school the next day. And so there I was, waiting in a crowd, fizzing with energy, expectation and male jumpiness, with other civilians who I assumed were supportive of this show of force. They were there to show their support for this show of force this brandishing of billies with their firearm certificates. And now that I am in the middle of the surging crowd and 60 feet from the big man standing tall and bold, I am feeling less and less curious about proceedings. And then the Reverend Dr. Paisley begins to speak in that familiar loud voice. Four things to note. One... His preacher rhythm is hypnotic. Let me tell you a thing or two, let me tell you, he says, about why we are here and here we are to show our love of God and country. Two, it is a generous crowd, clapping at every denunciation, clapping the spaces between denunciations... (laughs) cheering and calling the big man on to denounce with even greater certainty 3 i am growing more shaky nervous with every denouncement because it feels like i am being denounced and punched rhymes with denounced <laughs> 4 I now feel trapped in a place I want to leave because to leave early might be to show disagreement to the cause, to what was being said. Perhaps I would be spotted leaving by the big man and pointed at and asked, Brother, do you not have the stomach for the work? Does he not have the stomach for the work before us this cold, desolate evening? He would be right, of course. I did not have the stomach for this work. And I felt alone and trapped by 4,000 men, all pumped up on promise and precipice. The big man was used to delivering long sermons and speeches, and so for him, this was a jaunty stroll of a 20-minute rallying cry, where he said, We are not breaking the law. We have legal firearms. We will take matters into our own hands literally if the British government are not hard on the perpetrators of violence because we have no choice, because we may have to and we will defend ourselves against the I, pause, R, pause, A, pause with the final pause being generously filled by cheers. And then he said this, he said, Brothers and sisters, you are either for or against God and Ulster. You are either for or against this righteous, urgent cause. You are either for or against this third force. So tonight, let us see who is for us. If you are for me and for this cause, for this third force, I want you to raise your right hand. Raise it high into the air for all to see. And then I am caught. Because I have only a few moments to decide what to do. The fuse is lit. The crowd is straining to show their faithfulness to the cause, to the one true cause, and I am not for this one true cause. And there are 4,000 men crowded in around me, some dressed in the zealot fashion of dark glasses and military garb. And if I don't raise my hand, I might get my head in my hands. (laughs) And it might get ugly. Why did I come here even to listen? And I'm going to stick out a mile if I don't raise my hand high. And maybe the big man will notice me not raising my hand and make me part of his sermon, saying, Here is a brother who is not for us. He has this choice. He is choosing to support lawlessness, to lie down in the face of the IRA death machine. He is afraid. I was afraid. And maybe the third force would start to crowd in on me. And when this happens, things do not get subtle or nuanced. Why are you here? Who is he with? Is he a spy? Where do you live? In short, they do not usually get a flip chart out (laughs) and calmly explore non-violent options for dealing (laughs) with an unbeliever. Paisley says it again. So tonight, brothers and sisters, let us see who is for us. If you're for me and for this cause, for this third force, I want you to right now, right now, raise your right hand, raise it high into the air for all to see. And he raises his hand to start the fidelity show of hands. What can I do? hand after hand start to rise up to the night sky hand after hand all the billies raise their right hands high and what did i do i'll tell you
0: And I assume you don't really need me to tell you what Paul did during that silence, do you? No, didn't think so. Thanks so much, Paul. Brilliant and chilling. If you're unfamiliar with some of the things Paul referred to, look up Dr Ian Paisley and the Third Force. Some of it might surprise you. And Kat, what a joy. Puntastic. Thank you so much, and what a 10 by 9 debut. Come back soon. <music> And if you think you can follow in Paul or Kat's footsteps, then get in touch through our website at 10 by 9com We are always, always looking for storytellers. Or contact us through our social media channels, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And that is it for this podcast. Thanks to the lovely people who help us bring 10 by 9 events to life, Margaret, Leanne and Chris. Thanks to the wonderful people of the Black Box, our gorgeous audience and all our storytellers, but especially Paul Hutchinson and Cat Rafferty. I'm Paul Dorn, and I'll be back with another podcast soon. But for now, bye-bye.